This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to another episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. We've recorded these episodes as we've all sheltered at home. And between passionate conversations about Southern food, you'll also hear honest takes about how these musicians have been dealing with the pandemic. From the cover of his latest album to the feelings in his songs, this week's guest says the simple comforts of home have fueled his rise on the country charts. I'm looking back on life thinking this has been a crazy ride, so I feel like I've just begun now, so I feel pretty good. Brett Eldridge grew up in the rural town of Paris, Illinois, and cut his teeth in Nashville's many honky-tonks. He won a coveted CMA award for Best New Artist in 2014, and has toured with Taylor Swift, Keith Urban, Marin Morris, and Darius Rucker. Released last week, his new album, Sunday Drive, features this song called Good Day, which puts the listener back in Brett's chilly Midwest environment and amps up the optimism, even during a bleak winter morning. It's forty two cold and rainy, and something's got me thinking maybe it's gonna be a good day. I don't know why, but it feels like love's coming my way. And the sun ain't even shining. If the world gonna keep on spinning, let it keep spinning on my way. I gotta Today, you'll hear Brett describe a delicious but curious dessert that his family loves. She would make from scratch a chocolate cake with white icing, and then they would put it in a cup, and they would pour milk over that, and they called it Eldridge cake. Plus, what instrument Brett's learned since the quarantine, how he's debuted a new song from his aunt's garden, and more this week on Episode 7 of Biscuits and Jam. Well, Brett Eldridge, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thank you. This is uh, this is a cool idea. I like it. I'm ready for it. Tell me a little bit about growing up in a small town in Illinois. I call it the heart of the heartland. It's very rural, salt of the earth kind of people, you know, uh, down to earth, hardworking folks, farmers, factory workers, you know, little storefront shops. Well, slowly, there aren't as many now, but, you know, growing up in that, there was a lot of that. But it was just a uh, classic courthouse. Uh, downtown, it's just a really good-hearted place, and there's a lake in the town that I grew up on the lake, so it was, it was just a beautiful place to grow up. It seems like uh, small-town life kind of runs through everything you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I think you kind of carry that everywhere you go with you. you know, now living in Nashville and around bustling streets and lots of stuff going on, I've traveled pretty much around the world, and I, and I always carry that hometown kind of that small town feeling with me kind of everywhere I go. I just think it's it's a huge part of my soul and it, it keeps me grounded and keeps me also wanting to see more things and continue to chase down life, but also know where I came from and try to hopefully inspire people from little towns as well and as I'm doing it all. There's a photograph on the cover of your new album, Sunday Drive. What's the story behind that? The album cover is a photo of my grandfather in the 30s. And 
I believe his cousin. And this album is very reflective. It's very much kind of putting your life into perspective of the things that matter most. And, and when you see this album cover, you see my grandfather, who is now several years past. But at that moment in his life, he has his whole life ahead of him, and he's got a big smile on his face. You can see the beach cruiser bike or whatever that is, that old school bike that he has. You could tell he just races that up and down hills with his buddy right there with him. Like at that moment, he never thought about anything else but having fun that day. And I think when I look at that, it makes me think of of how I want to look at my life because I'm going to be one day gone from this world. And, and I want to be able to count those moments and not look past them and fly past them and share them with the ones that matter most to me. And I think the symbolism of that album cover is, is it means something to me because it's also personal with my family but also more so just man hold those moments close and and make them count So, Brett, were you close with your grandfather? Very, very close. He was, he was, I would say he was my best friend. He lived a full life. He lived till I think he was 85. And, and, you know, growing up, he had a DX station. So he had a gas station. And he, my dad and all my uncles worked at the gas station and uh, with him. And, you know, the old school go out to the pump and you have a attendant, which happened to be him or my dad or my uncles. And they, when they were in high school and throughout their life as kids, would uh, fill up the cars and it was Shirley's D. His name was Shirley, and uh, which was very unique in itself. It was kind of like a boy named Sue, you know? And uh, he just had all these amazing stories. He was a big time life storyteller and, and I always thought he was embellishing on everything and it was all made up and every, sometimes. And then I would check with some old friend of his or whatnot and they would always back it up. It, he was always, had these just amazing life stories he went to war he did all these you know crazy things in his life and and he had just amazing amazing ways to share that that with his family and and that always really left a mark on me and it made me i think have a big imagination as a songwriter and as a storyteller and i think that's kind of where i got my craft from as a songwriter and and even as a singer is telling these stories that that he was telling well, that's a beautiful thing. That's that's great. You got to spend so much time with yeah, it. Yeah, it was. It, and uh, I, I still, to this day, you know, as I have him on the cover of my album. I mean, he he definitely uh, like on one of my in ear monitors that you wear inside your ears, like headphones, before I go on stage. I've got his autograph or his signature engraved into my in ear monitors for my stage. So every night he's on stage with me. It's pretty cool. Who was the cook in your family growing up? Yeah, I mean his wife. My grandmother, her name was Spiz. Her name was Annabelle, but her nickname was Spiz. That's what everybody called her, Spiz. She was an amazing cook, you know, classic country meals of fried chicken, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, you know, you name it. But also, they had this, there was, had some weird traditions too, like she would make from scratch a chocolate cake with white icing, and then they would put it in a cup and they would pour milk over that. And they called it Eldridge cake, which was so interesting. And there was this thick white icing, you know, and sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's actually making me really hungry right now. I haven't eaten yet today, and that's making me really hungry. Uh, I might have to get some of that. And then my my mom's mother and my mother were uh, really good 
at baking. And so my mom's brownies are incredible who she got the brownie recipe from my grandmother, you know, uh, actually my grandmother's mother. <laughs> so my great grandmother, I think her recipe and then she passed it down. I was raised really well and, and fed very well uh, growing up. And, and, uh, now I'm, I'm quite the healthy eater, but whenever I go home, you know, for holidays or whenever, of course, I, I divulge into some of the specialties that still, still happen and are still carried traditions in, in my family. So what were the holidays like uh, for you growing up? I think my family holidays are pretty unique, I think, for, for over 30 years. I mean, from day one, we still, every year at Christmas, get together. Christmas Eve, we all go to the same church that we've been going to for over 30 years. My great-grandfather was a minister there. You know, we, we it's such a tradition that we all go sit in the same area in the church and then Afterwards, we go to, we used to go to my grandmother's house. Once they passed, my aunt actually moved into her house. My uh, aunt and uncle did. And, uh, and so we still have the Christmases together on Christmas Eve with everybody. And we think we have like 35 or 40 people there now uh, every year. All cousins. I have so many cousins. And, and then there's every year there's a new cousin. It seems like and it's just it's, uh, incredible food, incredible baking. And then we just, you know, pass around presents and people give gag gifts and really funny stuff. And it's, it's just, uh, it's a great way to kind of celebrate, you know, those that matter most to you and, you know, get to see them near enough. And I think those holidays are some of my favorite memories still to this day. Well, you did a Christmas uh, album called Glow. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody quite as excited about Christmas as as, yeah. <laughs> as you were on on Instagram. And it sounds like you have a lot of fun with it. It's my favorite time of year, you know. And I think it's I'm a big nostalgia guy. I'm a big I'm a big fan of the way that music makes you feel. You know, the classics from Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, Sinatra, Dean Martin. You know, you name it. I mean, just that's the, that kind of music that just really makes me feel simpler times, you know, in my heart and my mind. And, and I think that's really important to have in this world. And I think that nostalgia is important and you can kind of go to that place in your mind when you need to. And that time of year, I think, you know, making an album like that for me was a, was a dream come true. And, and now, you know, a few years later after putting that out, it's grown into a really big thing for me of, you know, playing these giant theaters several nights in a row and, being a kid that used to wake everybody up at 7 a.m. to open gifts on Christmas Day to Bing Crosby or whatever and blared on the speakers, that's a, that's a Christmas dream come true for me. So uh, I've enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more with Brett Eldridge after the break. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, 
This slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and we're talking with Brett Eldridge. You know, you're always uh, paying tribute to family and traditions and a lot of your music. And I got to ask about your Aunt Margot. You premiered, I think, uh, your new single, Gabrielle, in her garden. What's the story behind that? Well, my Uncle David and Aunt Margot, her husband, Uncle David, he has he has a farm with a bunch of cattle. Everything's, you know, homegrown there from the garden to the, the beef that he had. So you're just getting everything 100% natural. And so meals over there, just when you taste something that fresh, it, it, you, you can't get that anywhere else unless you go back home kind of thing. And so... Every time I go home, I, I usually go see them, and I go to Aunt Margot's garden. I always have her take me out there and show me what produce she has out there. And there's kale, there's spinach, there's radish, there's beets, there's peas, there's hot peppers that I usually eat right out of the garden. There's green beans, everything. I mean, she's a huge garden, and, and so I, it's just a tradition for me to go visit that. And I wanted to show my co-producers and my manager, kind of my hometown feel of that Midwest flair that I come from. It's very unique and, and different in its own way than somebody that grew up in the country in the South. It's just its own thing. And I wanted to, them to see that. And so we took the bus to the little town and parked it in my buddy's barn and uh, went over there and I showed them, you know, the lake I grew up on, they still live on out there. And, and then we, we went in the garden and I was like, why don't we do a jam session in the garden? So as Aunt Marco was just randomly picking vegetables as it was, I started singing. And, uh, we, yeah, we premiered uh, Gabrielle from Aunt Marco's Garden, which was a lot of fun. And it was just, uh, I think, a big piece of my heart there in that town. And I think it captured that really well. Well, uh, you, you've talked about Gabrielle as a song that references someone who, who was in your life at one point, not necessarily named Gabrielle. I just got to ask, was, was she a Southern girl? She's kind of Southern. She's a country girl, really, and loved uh, a lot of the same things that I did. And I think that it was really interesting for her and this certain person. And it's just, this is a real story. And, and the name of the actual person, like I've said before, doesn't necessarily mean her name was Gabrielle, but it is a real story. But it was a very down-to-earth person that, that I had, you know, was very fortunate to get to know and share life with it. and you know it didn't work out but you know it was one of those kind of things where this our lives were in different spots and sometimes you know relationships don't work out but you always get a certain point in your life like right now and you sit back and you wonder I wonder what that person's doing I wonder what you know I wonder what they're up to and and I wonder what my life would be like with that person still and I think everybody can relate to that and and you know probably it's never going to happen again but it's great to to look back at that and think I'm a better person for that. And I, wherever they are, I wish them well. And I think accepting things for what they are and, and uh, for getting to know that person. And, and uh, I think that's a, it's a really big step, I think, in life. Oh, was it your heart or mine? Or was it just the wrong time? 
tell me about uh, your move to Nashville and what that looked like. Uh, pretty big move for a kid from a small town. And what was that like for you? It's just so weird to think about. It. Very little do you actually look back on the moment you moved here because, you know, you're here and now and it's I've been here for 13 years and spent, you know, half my life here now. So it's it's pretty wild. When I first moved here, I was just, you know, a classic story, fill up the car and just head down to, to Nashville and went to school and I would um, finished at MTSU and I would drive back and forth to Nashville, which is like a 35, 40 minute drive, depending on the day. The traffic wasn't as bad back then, but uh, now it'd probably take you longer. I would immediately leave class and drive to Nashville and write songs and sleep on my friend's couch or whatever I could, you know, and I was just kind of relentless of, not only relentless, but kind of naive to know that it's a really tough thing to get into. And I'd just go knock on doors and sing wherever I could sing and just kind of go all out. Being naive like that, I think, was also a huge way for me to become successful because you don't have that fear in your heart and in your mind. And I always try to remind myself of that that Brett that first moved to town with that spark in your eye, you know, and I think that's important to remember. And and Nashville's been really good to me ever since. And, I, and I've just kind of always tried to, to put out good music and grow with this town. And, and uh, it's grown a lot. And so my music and I've just uh, I'm enjoying it more than I ever have right now. I think taking the time to really be reflective on it. When you look back at those early years in Nashville, was there a particular club where things started to really come together for you? You know, I did I did the circuits of, I was, instead of like playing the honky tonks on Broadway, I was playing songwriter nights. I found my craft for songwriting pretty quick, even though I didn't even know how to write songs when I first moved here, really. Uh, I learned that I had a, a knack for writing songs and the songs weren't great at first, but you know, you I would get up on stage and I would fail and I would tell stories and I would, uh, there'd be two people in the crowd sometimes, sometimes there'd be nobody in the crowd and you start growing your songs, you start figuring out what works, what doesn't. And uh, I played at the Holiday Inn Commodore Lounge, uh, which was r right by Vanderbilt. Played there a lot, you know, it was smoky. It was before they up updated, it was nothing fancy at all. It was smoky and it was a very interesting place to play shows. And, and then I would play uh, in East Nashville, at a place called the French Quarter Cafe. I would play, then I would play the Bluebird some. That was when you went big time, you know. And I would just play kind of wherever they had songwriter nights. A lot of the places don't even exist anymore. But, you know, I was able to tell my stories and I was able to get the, the right people to come see me. And, and it started to grow. And then eventually I got a publishing deal. And so I was making enough, I mean, not very much, but enough to get by and write songs for a living. And uh, that, was, that was right before I graduated college and then wrote for a few years and honed my craft and my recordings and eventually the record label started to call and then signed to Atlantic Records in 2009. And now, uh, 11 years later, I'm looking back on life thinking this has been a crazy ride. So I feel like I've just begun now. So I feel pretty good. Brett, you, you had a song called Raymond about a guy 
who works in a nursing home with a patient who has Alzheimer's. Can you talk to me a little bit about where that song came from? That seemed to be kind of a big moment for you. That was my first single, Redman was, and it was a song I wrote with a guy named Brad Chrysler here in Nashville. I think it was the first time we ever wrote, actually, and I, I just was kind of a shy guy a little bit. And But I stepped in the room, and I was really emotional about my grandmother who had Alzheimer's at the time she was really starting to struggle with it, starting to forget people in the family and really in a, just in a tough place and watching my family go through that and watching her go through that. And somebody that knew me or everything about me her whole life, never missed a birthday call, never, you know, she was, she was everything to me. And I was just tore me up and I, I started to tell Brad about this and he's like, well, I, I sang hymns in nursing homes growing up. And I said, well, that's what I did too. And uh, I used to bring a little boombox thing in nursing homes and sing them hymns or old uh, big band songs or whatever it was. I would go in there and sing. And so we started telling the story about a guy that works in a nursing home. And it was very, rang very true to my story in ways. And I wanted to find a way to kind of tell the story and make people relate to the fact that, yeah, somebody's going through this tough time and it's really hard to see your family members go through it. And instead of, you know, correcting them and saying, you know, I'm not your son, Raymond, I'm some guy that just works at this nursing home. Instead of saying that you just play that, you play the part that you are, you are Raymond, you know, and you just, you just go with it and you don't need to correct them. And, uh, cause you know, they can't help it. And so I think, I think it was just a very good way to help me cope with it. Then I learned quickly that it, how many people were going through this similar thing to, to me, how many of their families were. And I think it was a really powerful thing to get out there at that moment to get me introduced to the world. Could I beg you to just sing a little bit of it, just the first part? Uh, yeah. Uh, I work down at Asbury Hills. Minimum wage, but it pays the bills. Cleaning floors and leading hymns on Sunday. Catherine Davis, room 303. Sweetest soul we ever could meet. I bring her morning coffee every day. She calls me Raymond. She thinks I'm her son. What a great idea and what a great song. Thank you. So, Brett, tell me about, you know, what this last couple months has been like for you being in quarantine. You know, you got an album coming out. It's a very strange time to have an album coming yeah. out. And what's it been like for you? Um, for me, you know, it's obviously a roller coaster of emotions for just, you know, the uncertainty, I think, is a strange thing. I mean, for everybody. And, I, and I, I've, I've done a lot of work on myself over the last couple of years to you know, have self-awareness during all this has, has been a really helpful thing for me. It doesn't mean I, it's, it hasn't been tough. It definitely has. But, um, you know, I've tried to take the time to focus on uh, not being hard on myself, you know. And if you have a day where you just don't feel like doing a lot, that's okay. I've tried to get little accomplishments each day that make me feel some sense of gratification at the end of the day. And, some, and you know, getting gratitude and focusing on the good things that I do have in my life and, and all that, you know, I've, I've felt pretty strong throughout a lot of it. And when I, when I haven't felt strong, I try to lean on my friends and call them up and, and just, uh, connect, you know, and I think the other way to connect for me always 
through the toughest times of my life, I always turn to music. There's people that are out there moving their albums. You know, they say, oh, you can move your album to a time when everybody's kind of back to whatever we call normal or whatever. And I was like, well, yeah, you can do that. But, you know, I was already ready to put this album out. And if I can have my music out there for people in a tough time like this and give them escape and some optimism and it's a very reflective album as it is to kind of be grateful for what you have in your life too. If I could put that out there, then then that's more important to me than getting it in a time when maybe the TV shows are open again and you're able to go to New York and LA and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, we'll all get back to normal at some point, but we need music now. And I want to be somebody that can, that I can uh, help people through it. So I've, uh, I've found a different way to promote my album than I never imagined. But I'll always remember this and we'll always all remember this, but I think it's important to get music out there and it's important to connect through music. And and, uh, and so I've stayed strong through that, at least. What role do you think musicians can play in trying to help this country get back on its feet? Yeah, you know, I talk, I've talked to several of my music friends about it. You know, everybody's obviously chopping at the bit to be able to get back on stage, but it's at the same time, you know, here we are and this is where we are and that's um you know we will get back on stage at some point but until then you know it's it's uh getting our music out there to people that need to hear it and I, that's what I, that's what you know i see a lot of my friends doing that and making music during this time and you know i've been i've been uh learning piano i mean at the beginning of this quarantine i didn't know how to play piano and now i think a couple months really yeah, <laughs> yeah i've always been a guitar player and and now i can I can already almost completely play a, a whole song in two months, you know, and I didn't even know how to play at all. So stuff like that, I'm just trying to uh, work on my music strong enough so I can be better me and a better artist than myself. You know, there's so many different ways that we can help each other. And I think this the connecting and the communication with each other, I think, is a huge thing. And I see a lot of artists doing a lot of great things out there. So I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great platform to have to, to be able to help others. Have you been spending a lot of quality time with your dog, Edgar? Yeah, you know, Edgar, uh, Edgar's retired now from the spotlight, so he's getting even more time. You know, he used to be on Instagram and all that stuff, and I used to put him out there, and I was like, you know what, I need the, I need the sense of normalcy in my life of what, you know, most people have with their dog, which is you just come home and there's a dog, your pup there that loves you no matter what. And, um, it was, it was getting to be too much to, you know, have him in photos and, you know, he didn't want to be an Instagram star. He wants to be a dog. And I, you know, bringing him on stage and everything, that got to be way too much. And, you know, it was, uh, you couldn't get him across country and all that stuff. I was like, man, I've got uh, this dog that I love and I'm just going to have that that normalcy. And, so, and now since that, you know, I really think he runs away from the camera as it is. I think he knows when someone's taking a picture. But I've just enjoyed, yeah, going out and hikes with him and, and uh, I'm with him all the time. But yeah, he's... He's retired now and just with me. <laughs> How old is he now? Uh, he's four in a couple of weeks. Oh, he's still got some good years ahead. Yes. Oh, yeah. So your your new album is coming out right around in July, right? Yep. July 10th. And it's going to be right around the 4th of July. So is that a big holiday for you? Do you like to celebrate that? It's my favorite holiday. Yeah. Fourth of July. I mean, other than Christmas, I guess I should put it in second. It's my favorite holiday that's not. Christmas. Um, I grew up on a lake. I, I love to shoot fireworks off. I love to, I, you know, go boating every 4th of July, water activities and 
you know, cookouts and the amazing food. And my mom would always make this fruit pizza, which was, uh, pretty much like a, a cookie dough, uh, base. And then, uh, it had like a cream cheese and then it had all these fresh fruits like peaches and blueberries, chocolate chips, bananas. Oh, strawberries too. So it looked very red, white and blue in a way too. But it was, uh, it was my favorite favorite part of the 4th of July was was eating fruit pizza as well. So I just love the holiday and you know what will it be this year? I have no idea, but I'll find a way to I'll find a way to to celebrate in my own way whatever it is. Uh I'm excited about it. I heard you used to uh sing the national anthem when you were oh, yeah. a kid. Yeah, that was the first song I learned. And that was back when they televised it and they always had it on the WG on sports radio for the Cubs games and so the first two songs I learned were the national anthem and take me out to the ball game. And so, yeah, I used to sing the national anthem all the time. And, you know, I just, just set like family parties and somebody pay me $5 and then I would run into the, the yard and play. And I'd, I'd like hide behind a door. I was so nervous and shy, but I could belt out the national anthem. So I would hide in the other room and people could hear it all the way in the other room. And then they, somebody give me $5 and then I, I was now rich and, that was my introduction to the music biz. <laughs> well, hopefully you can bring that back out at a at a baseball game when when we get back to uh, things like baseball games. You know, it's I, uh, I one of my first big sporting events was the uh, Bears and uh, Packers at Lambeau Field. It was so cold, you know, the frozen tundra up there is so cold, and I, I was just so excited though. That's the biggest rivalry. My dad's a Packers fan, but everybody else in my family are Bears fans, and it was very full circle moment to be able to sing that, you know, at that giant stadium in front of all those people at that game. So that was fun. <laughs> well, Brett, I got to just ask you one more question. And that is, what are you looking forward to the most when we get on the other side of this? What I'm looking forward to most is just the, the simple things in life, the connection of, of uh, seeing somebody and, and, you know, we might embrace in a different way after this, who knows, but there's still a, a, a way of, connecting with people and in, in a warm manner of that, you know, you need each other and you lean on each other for. And I think, you know, that's what I get from when I get on stage is that being embraced by the crowd and it just really comforts me. And, uh, and I hopefully can through music, give comfort through my crowd. And that's the connection and with my fans, you know, is, is they're there for me and I'm there for them. And, and, uh, the more and more I've worked on myself over the years, and I used to get a little nervous go on stage, but once I learned that everybody's there for me and I'm there for them, it's like you can go no wrong up there and you just, just be yourself, and that's where I feel the most myself. So I'm excited to get on that stage again, and I know we will, and, and uh, whenever it is, I, I can't wait for that moment. Well, we look forward to seeing you back out there, Brett. Thanks for being on Biscuits and Jam. Yes, Biscuits and Jam, I appreciate you. You take care. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Brett Eldridge. His new album, Sunday Drive, is available wherever you get music and from bretteldridge.com. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama, and this podcast was produced and edited in Nashville, Tennessee. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about the program. You can find us online at southernliving.com and subscribe to our print publication 
by searching for Southern Living at www.magazine.store. Biscuits and Jam is produced by Heather Morgan Schott, Chrissy Tiglius, and me, Sid Evans, for Southern Living. Thanks also to Ann Kane, Jim Hankey, Eliza Lambert, and Rachel King at Pod People. I'll see you back here next week for more Biscuits and Jam.